BPG. You want to shout that out? BP was a good, good try. It was not BP, but it would be a nice idea, wouldn't it? Anyone else? No, no, it's not an oil company. Funny, it's about fast cars. It is Tesla. Okay, here's the next one, another test. Uh, to connect the world's professionals, to make them more productive and successful. LinkedIn, I think some of you said that. Yes, of course. Okay, here's one. I like this one. Bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world, asterisk. Asterisk, if you have a body, you are an athlete. <laughs> Just in case you don't want to lose any of the market. Okay, so if you are a, anyone on this one. Inspiration, innovation to every athlete in the world. Nike, yeah, okay. Uh, one more. Um, to refresh the world. To inspire moments of optimism and happiness. To create value and make a difference. Refreshing the world. Yes, it's Coca-Cola. Very good. There's one more, and, and, and I doubt you'll get it, but the person who I was, was here for is not here today. He's the one who sort of writes these things and helps us with them. Uh, helping our clients create their future. That's Accenture. That's Andy Young. He's not here, so, you know, it lost a bit in that, but anyway, he can get that on there. So, so why are we talking about, um, oh, no, here's, here's, here's one, a couple I rather enjoy. These are, these are not serious ones, okay, so this is, here's, here's one. Uh, that's our mission statement, make it to the weekend. <laughs> well, you might enjoy that. Uh, here's another one, whatever. That's our mission statement. We wrote it the same day we switched to decaf. <laughs> well, that's rather good, isn't it? And uh, uh, I think there's one more. Why are we doing this? It's not a great mission statement, but we'll revise it if things get better. Uh, look, why are we doing uh, mission statements? Why am I talking about mission statements? Because in our passage today, we get Jesus' mission statement from his very own lips. If you look down at verse 43, he says this. He says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. I mean, this is, you can't get away from it, can you? This is his mission statement. I've been sent. I must, it's imperative, proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. So here's Jesus' mission statement. He had so many other things he could have been doing, so many other priorities, so many other pressures, but his key priority is to, to, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus already identified himself as the king of the kingdom. Uh, in the verses before our passage, back across the page in uh, the first part of, of chapter 4, uh, he'd gone to the Nazareth synagogue and he'd been handed a scroll and he'd unrolled the scroll, and it'd been the scroll of the book of Isaiah, and he'd gone all the way down to, to chapter 61, and I read them right at the start of the service, and this is what he, uh, he, re he reads out, we can see it across the page in chapter 4. Verse 18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this prophecy in Isaiah was just one of countless promises that God had made across the Old Testament, across hundreds of years, of this coming king, this coming Messiah uh, who would come who would come and usher in a new kingdom of freedom, of liberation, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is the year of jubilee, the year where all debts were canceled, where everybody uh, returned to their land and to their homes. Uh, all those years, all those hopes, all those promises of this coming king. No wonder as Jesus uh, reads that out, the Nazareth synagogue are 
spellbound, they're silent, their eyes are fastened on Jesus. And, and we read verse uh, 20, Jesus rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today. Jesus is saying all those years, all those hopes, all those promises, now with Jesus there in the synagogue, he's saying today is that day. And I am that king who has promised to come to bring good news to the poor, to bring freedom to the captives. And, and, uh, uh, and, and this is Jesus establishing the kingdom. He says, I've come, this is my purpose. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And of course, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're not talking about a geographical area. We're not talking about the United Kingdom or a, or a particular geographical territory. When we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're talking about wherever God is king and recognized to be so. Wherever Jesus the king is at work, there is the kingdom. And why is the kingdom good news that Jesus is going to preach? Because where Jesus is found, well, there is peace and there is goodness and there is truth and there is freedom. And there is joy and there is life. Where Jesus is, there is the kingdom. And where Jesus is, uh, evil and darkness and shame and anxiety and fear have no place and they're driven out. And so friends, if you are seeking today peace and freedom and joy, if you want life in all its fullness, well, you'll only find it truly and permanently in God's kingdom under the loving and the gracious rule of Jesus who is God's messianic king. And so we come back to that passage, our passage today, and we get a glimpse of God's kingdom in action, God's kingdom arriving. Uh, when the king is in town, this is what happens. And we get to see this wonderful day in the life of Jesus. Uh, right early on in his ministry, verses 31 to 44, they cover a 24-hour period. Um, it begins uh, in a full synagogue on a Saturday morning, in Capernaum, it ends at daybreak on Sunday in a quiet place. And it's quite a remarkable day as we see Jesus at work. Uh, uh, he's fulfilling the promises of, of Isaiah 61, uh, bringing freedom to people's lives as he ushers in the kingdom of God. And perhaps the main thing that we, that we see about Jesus in these verses and that Luke wants to bring out is his authority and his, his power. We used to see that word twice. And I suppose we shouldn't be surprised if he is the king of the kingdom that we would see authority, kingly authority. Now, that's what Jesus is, is marked by in these verses. He's marked by kingly authority and, and power. Now, authority and power, of course, are words that become a bit uncomfortable in our current day. Uh, recent decades have seen the dismantling, in many ways, of traditional uh, authority structures, uh, growing suspicion around the holding of power. Uh, there's been a desire to democratize power, which has been supported and accelerated hugely by social media uh, and, and mobile phones and so on. Of course, much of that has been wonderful. It has been fantastic to give a voice to the powerless, to undermine cruel dictatorships. To, uh, to, to, you know, the Arab Spring is an example. The uh, exposing of police brutality, the growing voice of minority groups. There's been a lot of important progress in recent decades of, of uh, uh, democratizing power. 
But of course, authority and power in themselves are not the problem. It is those who exercise authority and power, which is the, is the real issue at work. And as fallen human beings, of course, we all get it wrong, some perhaps more than others. You know, abuses of power have been exposed, haven't they, everywhere in recent uh, years in, 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 in government, in big corporations, in the media, perhaps worst of all, in the, in the church. And so as fallen human beings, we've got to be really careful about authority and power structures and how we use our, uh, the authority and power that we've all been given in some different ways, in some uh, places and so on. But here in Jesus, in God's anointed, spirit-filled, messianic king, we see perfect authority and power. Absolute authority and power being exercised beautifully, wonderfully for the good of others as he ushers in the kingdom of God. And we see this authority in three different ways. Uh, I think we see it, uh, firstly, we see it in, in, in his teaching. Let's look at verse 31. Then Jesus went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee on the Sabbath. He taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching, do you see, because his words had authority. See, in the, the normal synagogue teaching in, in uh, first century Palestine uh, would have been based around the opinions of rabbis. They would have read a text, probably, and, and the preacher would have got up and he said, well, look, Rabbi Yitzhak, he says this, and Rabbi Benjamin, he says that, and, and we'll just sort of discuss those. And I imagine that pretty much everyone except the real keenies, you know, would have been looking at their watches and wondering when it was going to end. It's that kind of thing, like, like, you know, like one or two of you now. I mean, I, I, and I don't, I don't mind, I've, I always say, you know, I don't mind people if they look at their watches, so when they start sort of tapping them, that, that's a concern. Uh, and the real concern is when they bring out their calendars. Um, but uh, none of that with Jesus. Oh, no, look, his, you know, his words are electrifying. Their attention is rapt. In fact, they are amazed, they, he says, because they, he speaks with such authority. And of course, it shouldn't be a surprise, should it? As Jesus speaks, here is the creator of the world in human form. Here's the one who knows exactly how life works, and he's telling them how life works. Here's the one who speaks as the one who defines truth. He is speaking truth and explaining how things are. Jesus never just was suggesting ways to make life a bit better. Uh, he spoke with authority as uh, God incarnate. His teaching was radical and challenging and demanding and yet full of grace and mercy and love as he proclaimed the kingdom of God. And of course his words are still life transforming today when we take them seriously. We don't get much content of his actual teaching in this passage, any, but, but, but I'd encourage you to, to keep opening the Gospels Read and reread the, the teaching of Jesus, the parables and the, and the, the Sermon on the Mount and the, those uh, regularly listen to the teaching of Jesus because he speaks with authority. And the people were amazed and sometimes perhaps we take them for things for granted. But we see that authority, that kingly authority in his teaching. Uh, then we see the kingly authority uh, over evil, verse 33. Just have a quick look down there. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit, and he cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And then the demon threw the man down before him. 
And all came out without injuring him. And all the people were amazed and they said to each other, what words are these? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread across the region. uh, Demons are mentioned 23 times in in Luke's gospel. Uh, In the Bible, demons, also described as impure spirits, as they are here, uh, are fallen or rebellious angels. Existing in a spiritual realm under the leadership of uh, the highest ranking evil spirit who is the devil or Satan. Uh, We met him at the beginning of chapter 4, if you've been uh, in Luke's gospel before, as he sought to derail the ministry of Jesus right at the start, uh, but was thwarted as Jesus remained faithful to his calling. Now, of course, in a a Western materialist world, the, the concept of the devil and uh, demons and demonic power often laughed at. Of course, they laughed at it and, and little cartoon pictures of, of figures with horns and a pitchfork and a long tail, usually red. Uh, and yet, if we believe in God, then we believe in a spiritual realm. If we take our Bible seriously, then it is very evident that there are forces of evil at work. And if you were to live in a place and a culture where the spiritual world is much closer to the surface than our Western materialist uh, culture, you'll be much more likely to see demonic activity in a clearer way. Some of you will have had that experience, I'm sure. Uh, My thinking is that in our own age, in our own culture here in the West, the devil has much more subtle and effective means of spoiling God's purposes, of drawing people away through his deceptions and... and, uh, uh, But those things are still experienced by some who want to enter into the occult world and to uh, mess around with spiritual things. Uh, I guess these may be questions that you have. Maybe we we can talk about those. But but for sure, Jesus believed in demons. And perhaps more significantly, they believed in him. They knew exactly who he was. Do you notice that? It took time for the people to to work out around Jesus who Jesus actually was. Uh, Even for the disciples who were close to Jesus, it took them nearly three years before they could profess that he was the Messiah. And it wasn't until after the resurrection that they really grasped who Jesus was. But here, right from day one of his ministry, the demonic world know exactly who Jesus is. Verse 34, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Verse 41, they they knew he was the Messiah. And so here's the the power encounter. It happens uh, there in Capernaum. And there's there's no contest. I mean, the demons have power. Uh, The demons still have power to hold people captive, to cause harm, to inflict pain, to create chaos. And here this poor man is screaming at the top of his voice in the synagogue. You can imagine it is utter pandemonium in this synagogue in in Capernaum. And Jesus, with a word, he silences the demon. Be quiet. And he commands him to come out. And and there's peace. There's peace in the synagogue. And there's peace in this man's life as the kingdom comes, as the king touches his life and changes it forever. Uh, you know, exorcism was not a new thing. There was exorcism in the Jewish world, as there was and was in other cultures. But, but these were always done with special rituals and incantations and the invoking of a higher power. Jesus just says, be quiet, come out. With the word he commands, evil 
to flee. And they do. See, Jesus is marked by a, a kingly authority and power. We see it in his teaching. People are amazed as he speaks with authority. We see it in his authority over evil uh, here in that Capernaum synagogue. And then thirdly, we see it in his, in his healing uh, with his authority over sickness. So the service is over in the synagogue. They're all sort of in a bit of shock. They've had their uh, coffee uh, after the service. Maybe they've had cake, if it was cake Saturday. I don't know. Uh, Jesus goes back to Simon Peter's house uh, for the uh, roast dinner after the service. And, and they find Simon's mother-in-law very unwell. I mean, what's going to happen to the dinner? I doubt that was foremost in their mind. Uh, but they discover her unwell with a high fever. And so Jesus does just what he did to the demonic power. It's interesting, the language uh, Luke uses, he rebukes the fever, verse 38. Jesus left the synagogue, went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. He rebukes the fever, and it leaves Later in chapter 8 of Luke's Gospel, we'll see Jesus rebuking the wind and the waves when they're causing fear and chaos and threatening the lives of, of the disciples. He, he rebukes the wind and the waves. Uh, here we've seen him rebuking an evil spirit, and now we're seeing him rebuke a fever, rebuking an illness. You see, Jesus has complete authority over creation, over evil, over sickness, even over death itself. See, God's messianic king, he rebukes and drives out those things that don't belong in the kingdom of God. And when someone is uh, touched by Jesus, when they come into the kingdom of God, well, their lives are changed. Did you see that? It's a sort of slight incidental, but uh, verse 39, the second part of verse 39. So he bent over, rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she got up at once and began to wait on them. You know, Saturday lunch still got cooked. Uh, and you may be thinking, rolling your eyes, thinking, oh, just, yeah, typical, women has to cut the, make the lunch for, for the men. Well, maybe that is uh, an assumption we shouldn't make. Uh, but I don't think that's the reason Jesus healed her. You know. But that is always the pattern in the Gospels. Do you know that, that those whose lives are touched by Jesus, who come into his kingdom... Well, immediately, they begin to lovingly and joyfully serve their king. That's, that's, that's the normal pattern. We'll see that in, in other parts. It's the mark that you really know Jesus, that the, you've really come into the kingdom, is that you want to serve him. That you want to give your life for him. Well, this remarkable day of the kingdom coming in Capernaum hasn't finished yet. Uh, Jesus demonstrates his authority as he heals the sick. Uh, but it's not just his mo Simon's mother-in-law, is it? It gets to the evening, verse 40. Have a look down. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of illness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you're the son of God, but he rebuked them and wouldn't allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. You know, it's been a long day for Jesus. Started in the singer with his teaching and then the demonic force out and then Simon mother-in-law and, 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 the, and the healing and, and it's got to the, to the evening at sunset and, and now he's got to pull an all-nighter 
I mean, they don't stop coming. News is spreading. They're bringing their, their, their relatives, their friends, those who are unwell, who are sick, who are, who are possessed. They, they're bringing them to, for him to, to, to heal them and to deliver them. And, he, and, and, and here's a man who can, can do that. Imagine a person like that who with a word or a touch can, can heal an addict, who can remove a fever, can drive out cancerous cells, can knit together broken bones, instantly, fully, completely healed. Imagine today there was someone like that in, in, our, in our world. Imagine uh, there was a healer like this, say, up north in, in Bradford somewhere. You know, and and they, they go into the wards of the Bradford Royal Infirmary, and with a word or a touch, uh, you know, every patient is healed, jumping out of bed, leaving the dialysis machine behind, stepping out of their wheelchair and going home. Imagine that. News would spread, wouldn't it, very quickly uh, about this person who can, who can do it just like that. And, 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 you know, all of West Yorkshire would be heading for Bradford because the news would spread. And then, you know, it would get on the news. And, and then, uh, if there was no train strike, King's Cross would be packed with people with their wheelchairs and with their, uh, taking their sick relatives up on the train to, 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 to Bradford. Or the M1 would be clogged with, with traffic and, and flights would be coming in because this is a man who could just heal like this. Imagine that, the, the, the kind of attention. And this is what Jesus is doing in Capernaum, just like that, every time, healing, driving out a demon. And the news is spreading. Here's a sensation. Everybody wants to come to Jesus to be healed. And so it's no surprise that when Jesus retreats, people come looking for him. Verse 42, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The People were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. Of course they did. Capernaum is going to be the center of this amazing ministry, and and we need you, Jesus. We want you, Jesus, to be here. See, Jesus got the the world at his feet, and uh, little Capernaum could become the most famous place in Israel and, and that you can imagine the business people are thinking God this is going to be fantastic all that tourist trade and we're going to be uh, and, 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 and maybe it's that reason that Jesus went because he's in so much demand that he wants to rest and to pray and to clarify his priorities and that is what he does verse 43 but he said look I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So here's the priority. The mission of Jesus is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. He's the king of the kingdom with absolute authority and power. Wherever he goes, we're going to continue to see in Luke's gospel him healing and driving out evil spirits. Uh, but his main purpose is to preach, to proclaim the kingdom, uh, to call people to repentance and faith, to put their trust in him. And as they do, they'll find freedom and peace and joy in him. That is the mission of Jesus. And I wonder if we know that Jesus. If that is his mission, well, what is our mission? Um, we've been thinking a bit of, 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 of PCC about our, our mission, about why we exist, about what we're about as a church. And uh, um, we've come up with this one as a, a small strap line, uh, at least to start, uh, which is that we are to be living and sharing the good news of Jesus. Picks up on Jesus' own mission statement, 
uh, but it's Jesus who is the center of the kingdom, so it's Jesus who we want to live for and share. Uh, living, of course, starts with coming to know Jesus for ourselves as, as, as Lord and Savior, to submit to him, to receive his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, his love. Uh, I wonder if you have you put your trust in Jesus? Is he your king today? Have you done that? Maybe you're a visitor, maybe you're here, just, you've been coming for a while, you, you don't yet... You haven't yet bowed the knee to Jesus and given him your life and found that peace and that hope in him. If you haven't done that today, well, that's where living for him starts, by coming to him. I encourage you to do that, even this morning. Maybe if you want to talk about that, if you're not sure, let's do that. But living for him, of course, comes coming to him and then allowing him to shape us, change us, to grow in purity and holiness, to uh, allow Jesus to... Uh, shape us not just on our Sundays, but on our Mondays at work and on our everydays in our families and with our friends and in our decisions. And in every way, we live for the good news of Jesus, knowing Jesus and wanting to walk in his ways. And as we do that, we're called to be sharing uh, the good news of Jesus in word and deed, uh, as individuals and as a whole church, uh, in, with acts of sacrificial love and compassion and kindness, uh, for sure, with acts of power, Will it involve driving out evil spirits and, and, and supernatural healing? Well, the kingdom of God has come, so we might expect that. The kingdom of God hasn't come in all its fullness, so we, we might not expect that so much. But if you want to think a bit more about that, well, come to focus on healing this evening, because that's what we're going to think a little bit more about that. Uh, but I encourage you to, we, whatever we think about that, we are involved in sharing this kingdom of God, sharing the good news of Jesus as we listen to others, as we speak confidently of our faith in word and in deed, we want to be those who offer this kingdom of peace and freedom and joy and life in all its fullness. So look, as we, uh, we're going to respond in a moment, so musicians, as you come up, uh, let's pause for a moment, let's think about this. Jesus says, I must proclaim the kingdom of God. That was his mission statement. As we follow him, we're called to be living and sharing the good news of Jesus. Uh, we want to know that peace and that freedom. So just for a moment, let's, let's pause. Does you want to reflect on that question? Do you know Jesus? Are you still wowed and amazed by him? Are you committed to living for him? Even this week, sharing his good news. So have a moment of quiet response and then we'll respond by singing together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are that king of the kingdom and we want to pray that you would help us to bow our knee before you, that you would help us to live for you, to know that freedom, that peace that you want for us in your kingdom, to allow you to work your work in our hearts, in our lives. And Lord, we pray that as we allow you to work in us by your spirit who comes to be in us, that we would be those who 
who would indeed live and share that good news of Jesus in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces. In everything we do, everything we are, Lord, would you help us to live for you, uh, trusting you, and then longing for that day when you'll come again and you'll establish the kingdom in all its fullness and there'll be no more evil and no more sickness and no more death and every tear will be wiped away and we'll see you and become like you and we'll rejoice in that kingdom for all eternity. Lord, fill us with that hope and help us to live lives consecrated to you until that day comes.